Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash godisgray. Now, on to the episode. It is not selfish. The most loving thing we can do is come home to ourselves and heal our beautiful bodies, our beautiful souls, our beautiful emotions that we're so deserving of. And then we come into the world as full cups and we get to be a mirror of that healing that is for everyone. Because this isn't mine, this isn't just yours, this is for everyone. Hi, Hi beautiful people. people. So today we are talking to speaker, author, and podcast host, Ruthie Lindsay. Yay! <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really delighted to bring you all this conversation because Ruthie and I were planning on doing an episode um, when she came to town from Nashville. She has this book, she was going on this book tour, and I was going to interview her about the context of her writing. And then coronavirus happened. <laughs> and her plans all got thwarted. I had a lot of things change. My baby was supposed to meet my amazing family, who I'm so close to on the East Coast. I was supposed to go to this beautiful wedding in Miami and party with all of my friends and get to sleep at night. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all of that is kaput. Yeah. All of your plans are kaput. Yeah. And we really just wanted to talk to you all about everything we're facing right now because there's some surface level things happening which is that we are quarantined we're at home everyone is losing income people are scared people are losing their health people are losing family members it is real but there are also traumas and things that are happening in all of us as individuals in our bodies and Ruthie and I realized I realize that there's no one more perfect to talk to about everything that's happening than Ruthie mm. because you were already quarantined in your own body after an accident, yeah. in your own bed after that accident, yeah. and you've already faced and done a lot of the work internally that it takes to process an event like this. Okay, so off the bat, let's just get started with this corona conversation. I just kind of wanted to go back and forth with some thoughts and just bring some validity to the emotions that you may be feeling, the things you may be going through. Something I mentioned on my Instagram recently is that fear is a plague. It, to me, is one of the most powerful 
tools of our enemy. Whatever words you subscribe to that, if you want to call it Satan, if you want to call it bad juju, whatever. But I really do think there's a very positive and beautiful and light way to encounter all of these challenges in our life, big and small. So what were some of your thoughts on Corona? Because... We were supposed to have this interview a couple days ago. I had to cancel and I just called Ruthie and you were going through your own thing. Yeah, it's just, it's a wild time. Like I, you know, I've been working on a book for um, two and a half, three years and it's coming out April 21st. And, you know, we've been working our asses off to prepare for this book tour, book release. I was coming to town. Um, I left Nashville last week where this huge tornado, like, ravaged my neighborhood I mean, ravaged um so that was super traumatic and then I decided to still come since the tour was gonna cancel to do all these interviews these podcasts where it's all like marketing um and 80% of them have been canceled which I totally understand and honor but you know I kept I caught myself and I was so grateful that you and I were chatting on Friday because I got so sad and so emotional and I've been in such like service mode with the tornado and then I was recording my audiobook that I hadn't had a chance to stop and feel the weight of what was going on in my nervous system and I just got so sad I started crying and I couldn't stop crying and then here's the kicker then I felt shame (laughs) then I felt shame which is such a disservice to our sweet little souls but I felt shame because I have friends who lost everything I have friends that you know literally with the tornado who can't work I you know, I'm like, people are dying from this virus and I'm in my privilege crying over a book release. And then you had beautiful words to speak about. Like, we have to own our pain and it's real. And disappointment, like everyone right now is feeling disappointment on some level. Like this is a massive, crazy, yeah, hysterical time in a lot of ways. And a lot of times that that's really triggering for a lot of people and letting myself just cry and feel it it's almost like between you and my friend jed and like allowing myself giving myself permission to just cry and journal and then getting up and moving and doing dances and we're like doing like non-linear movements like i had to like let this come out of our my body because when we just stuff it down and we shame ourselves, that's not, that's such a disservice to our sweet little spirits. (laughs) This brings me back to the Bible verse of everything like in the darkness will be turned into light or that, you know, the light will be brought into that space and that every time there's light, darkness has to flee. And to me, shame and fear are two very dark emotions and they're the things that can really drive you to steal all the toilet paper in the store and practically like knock someone out to get the last roll or to be screaming at people in the parking lot to the grocery store instead of really being present because I was thinking about how there's so much lack inside of me a lot of my fears are around money so a lot of it is just addressing that you don't always have to compare your trauma and the things that you're afraid of and the things that are happening to you or around you or in your life 
to everyone else's pain. You actually do yourself such a great disservice when you don't allow yourself to feel it. And for me, the disappointment that I'm working through is that Valentine was gonna go home to visit my parents. And I was just so excited about this trip, which is happening in April. And it was all around one of my dearest friend's wedding that was happening in Miami. And I was like, I'm gonna get to sleep. I'm gonna party with all of my best friends. This is gonna be amazing. My family is gonna have my baby. And it's perfectly fine that none of that is happening and I have to readjust my expectations and my mind and realize, wow, this is not happening right now. But, you know, to not allow myself to just feel that disappointment and to immediately talk myself out of it would just store all of that anxiety and yes. sadness and depression in my body until it felt like something much bigger. When you actually like take a moment to sit inside of your fears and be still and like talk to them, like you're saying, then you have so much more space to not only heal and move forward, but also be able to like, be like, okay, we're over that and we're going to like look forward and see how we're, yeah, exactly. How can you get perspective if you're ignoring it? That's right. Yeah. How Queen Oprah says, what we resist persists. You know what I mean? It's like the the queen queen teaches all the things. Yeah, it's so real. And I think, too, you're so right. When we do push those things down, they do get stored Mm -hmm. in the body. And our bodies are always talking to us. They all, she always has messages for us and just wants to be acknowledged and wants to be a part of the conversation. And has so much wisdom. Oh my God. And I think, you know, what excites me about this conversation is I think there are so many things that we can be doing right now that are really self-soothing and caring and loving for ourselves in a time that feels there's chaos outside of ourselves and there's pandemonium and that, you know, and there's a lot of, um, it's a traumatic time and it's very triggering for nervous systems, for people, for traumatized people, which let's be real, most humans are walking around disassociated and traumatized. Yeah. And I think the more this can be this like invitation, this pause to like kind of come back to ourselves. We have time to like do some really beautiful work. I think a lot of you will be familiar with the idea that you're presenting through the work of Jamie Lee Finch and Dr. Hilary McBride about embodiment and I talked to you all so much about not disassociating your body from your spirit from your mind like it is all one God wants us to be holistic creatures and creations so what have you obviously this was a skill you were taking by like touching and like being a comfort to yourself what else have you learned about embodiment or maybe you'd like to talk a little bit about what you went through with your body in the past yeah so I realized in the last season that like I've I've basically been disassociated since for as long as I can remember and you know had a lot of early childhood trauma but I um, was in a really bad car accident when I was a senior in high school Um, and I pulled out in front of an ambulance and he hit me on my car door going about 65 and I broke three ribs they punctured my lungs and my lungs collapsed and my spleen ruptured um and I broke C1 and C2, which are the top two vertebrae in my neck. And um, I was super lucky. Um, I was on life support for a while. I had youth and good health on my side. And after about a week, um, I 
was able to get off life support, and back then they used um, wire for spinal cord fusions, so mm. they took bone from my hip and wrapped it into my neck um, with wire, and I was in the hospital for about a month. I went back to school, graduated on time, very disassociated. I would talk about it in third person, you know, oh, like it wow. was way harder for my family and my friends than me, and I just... And I love a good story, so I talk about, like, it literally happened to someone else. And um, I was, like, definitely coping with food for the most part. I was just stuffing my feelings completely. With, I was a compulsive overeater. And just trying to survive, you know? We disassociate because of trauma to survive. And it's actually really loving until it's not serving us, you know? Mm. And so I went on about my life. I would, by looking at me, you'd never know anything had happened. All my scars are hidden from my clothing and my hair. Um, I would get sore if I danced too much. Like, that's about it. Like, I didn't have any, you know, real um, repercussions at the time. And after um, I graduated college, I moved to Nashville, met my, and I got really involved in the church. Um, when I was a after teenager, the accident? after the accident, okay. I think I was just searching. I was looking for something. I got involved with a church that um, taught that you know we were born these broken, wretched, sinful. Mm-hmm. Um, that we need the Jesus. That we are not inherently good. Yeah. That we born we're born broken. Mm-hmm. And I sang songs about that, and I believed it with every part, and it fit with the story I was telling myself that I was wow. broken, and it it fed that story, and I believed it with every part of me. Um, and that brokenness was something you just saw as a physical brokenness? No, I thought there was definitely... Okay, so like, you acknowledged I, that there was an emotional abs- trauma. Oh, I didn't at the time. I would have 100% thought it was just my body. Okay, but, well, that's kind of what I was asking yeah. when you were in these worship oh, moments. No, no. Yeah. It was a broken body. Yeah, I thought I was a broken body, but I did think like what I was taught that I was inherently broken too. Right. You know, like I thought that my soul was broken and I needed Jesus to make me okay. And like I remember being a little girl and I'd see the clock turn 1234 or 1111 and make me be good, make me love Jesus, make me be good, make me love Jesus. Because I, something in me believed that I was not inherently good. I mean, I would argue that we are, we don't know that because it's completely wrong. I don't think you can know something that is a total falsehood. Yeah. But you can know what people have told you. And what people told us was that we were broken. And for anyone that might be listening that's like, well, yeah, that's completely accurate. We are wretched. We are inherently sinful. What are you two so-called Christian girls complaining about here? Would you like to explain why that's changed in your mind? Well, gosh, yeah. Well, a lot shifted. I mean, I feel like I would need to jump back a little bit into the story because that that's been my unfolding, that's been my unlearning. Like okay. That journey has kind of been what took me. Um, that kind of were the invitations to bring me back home to myself. Well, feel free to get into the story. Yeah. So basically, um, moved to Nashville, met my first boyfriend, got married ten months later because I felt complete shame about having sex. We barely knew each other, you know. We were just sweet little earnest Christians trying to be good, you know, and wanting. And I was working at a church. I did youth ministry, and I felt so much shame. You cannot. He was my first boyfriend. I kissed a few people. I never even slept in a bed with another man. Like I just had. How did this happen? I, what were you wearing? Oh, girl, I was just. Well, I mean, yeah, and so I. About a year into our marriage, we were really excited. We had started our little lives. 
bought a house, I went on tour with him, you know, I was just thought everything would play out perfectly. And that sounds like a great beginning. (laughs) And about a year into that, all of a sudden one day, um, I turned my head a certain way, this crazy shooting pain went up my head, debilitating pain, like electric. It felt like I was going to vomit. Um, Mm. it knocked me on my knees. I thought I had been like either shot or literally struck by lightning. Like that's what I remember thinking because it was that severe. Wow. And um, black, inky blackout, left with a migraine, start going to all these doctors. Um, every time I'd go to a new doctor, they'd have me get an MRI, and the MRI would have this black spot on it, and they'd be like, oh, that's the magnet in the machine interacting with the wire from your fusion. Everything around it looks fine. Oh. And so, I mean, I didn't question the doctors, you know, and they started me on all these different therapies. None of them helped. Then they smoothed me onto narcotics, and I was oh. so desperate not to hurt all the time that I took anything they recommended right because yeah. I was in just panic mode and it was severe it was severe pain and nothing was helping I eventually started spending all of my time in bed um, taking these narcotics eating my feelings watching TV completely stopped working not able to show up as a partner as a sister as an aunt as a friend anything I, I mean I was just shut down and in so much pain and that went on for like four and a half years It just got worse and worse and harder and harder. So I'm wondering in these moments if you felt shame for being incapacitated in this way. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. The shame stories. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, part of also why I was just trying to numb. You know, but the, the tricky part of that is when you numb pain, you also numb every good, beautiful thing. So all I saw was pain and trauma and suffering and Mine and everyone else's, but I was mostly focused on mine. I was mostly parked in the lane of just victimhood. Why is this happening to me? So just, yeah. And, you know, I because I grew up in the South, I knew, like, smile, be happy, be pretty. And mm. I could show up every once in a while and then smile and do all the things. And then literally I'd come back home and get in bed and just be, my husband would just get the crumbs, the leftover crumbs, you know, and and then be in bed for days. And then there was also, in a lot of ways, when he'd travel and go on tour, it felt like relief because I didn't have to pretend. I could wow. just be miserable alone. And I think a lot of times, too, with pain, we check out and we isolate. And it's like, it's such, oh, it's so hard. And I used to have a lot of shame even about that time of life. And now I, like, love that girl so much because, I mean, who knows how to handle pain like that yeah you know like I was traumatized and I didn't know how to handle it and who does you're not created to hurt like that every second of every day I know I really want all of you to hear that message I think that's so profoundly important to love these former versions of ourselves slash the really like inherently good brokenhearted piece of us for me my most shameful time was being in this abusive relationship and I hate talking about it I just had a revelation the other night that the one thing I'm an open book I'll talk to you about anything but if you ask me about my tattoos I get so I'm just like don't talk to me about that don't and I finally made the connection when I was talking to my partner that my ex that was abusive had a hand in both of my tattoos and I'm like oh that's that's part of my shame story that I have but I spent so much time hating that girl and I actually 
I have to write about her slash me um, soon for my memoir, but I have to grow in compassion for her still because I want everyone else like reading that and hearing the story and even the way that I portray my perspective of a younger version of myself to be one of like love and compassion because I can look at all of you out there, I can look at you and from my objective view be like, you all deserve so much compassion. You all deserve compassion for whatever reaction you had to your pain. But we don't give ourselves that same permission. Right. So I'm sure you weren't conscious of any of that in oh, this moment. No, yeah. I was so disconnected, not conscious whatsoever. And I, I, I was just survival. I yeah. was in survival mode. And, you know, I after about um, four and a half more years of four and a half years of living my bed, finally a doctor asked to see what was under that spot on the film. And wow. basically a $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires from my spinal cord fusion had broken and pierced my brainstem. And I'm the only human that's ever had that. And I shouldn't be alive, speaking, walking, talking, anything. Um, and it, you know, wow. it was crazy. I'm the only, I mean, yeah. How did it feel to get that answer? Well, thankfully at the time, all they told me is I shouldn't be walking. And if I didn't get it out, I wouldn't be walking. But surgery itself was super high risk. And they left out those other parts because they wouldn't have served me. I was already so traumatized and not being able to. And I shut down even more so. I literally just started reading Harry Potter again. (laughs) I'm like, I just need to go hang out in a magical land where, you know, with my wizard friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I could not deal. I could not deal. And and then it kind of even took a turn for the worse. Um... Because two weeks later, uh, my dad, who we called Papa, uh, I grew up on a farm. Literally, my dad plowed our garden with a mule, cutest little bun that ever was. And every time we'd leave him when we were children, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners. Always look out for the little guy. Like, he <laughs> wanted us to love and enter in with the people that everyone else missed, you know? And so two weeks after we were, a few weeks after we found out about the wire in my brain, um, he was coming to see me to tell me that he'd sell our farm because it was a pre-existing condition and insurance wasn't going to cover it um, so that I could have the surgery because I had to. And he stopped to visit our Amish friends because we had Amish friends (laughs) um, to buy like a donkey or a mule. I'm not even kidding. Um, On his way. And we don't know exactly what happened because he was by himself at the time. But um, he ended up falling down a flight of stairs um, and ended up passing of brain damage. Wow. Um, And it was just crazy. Like, I just, you know, it was so traumatic. And I remember thinking, like, wake up. Like, I would pinch myself until I was bleeding because I was like, you're in a nightmare and you're going to wake up any minute. Because my dad was my safest place. Like, he, his presence made me feel like everything was going to be okay. You know? And I was definitely a daddy's girl and just... He loved and cherished me, and I loved and adored him. And it wasn't just like a loss for me and my family, and our, but like our whole community, it was so deeply affected. And we did not have much growing up at all, but you know, it was so beautiful because my godfather ended up setting up this medical fund in my dad's honor. And literally, out of the woodwork, people started um, sending in checks and letters being like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad fixed my roof. Your dad pays my rent. Your dad sent me to school. I mean, like, on and on and on. And my my godfather was like, yeah, he would take out loans 
to help people because we just didn't have much, you know, but his love for others did end up saving me because the full amount of money was raised for me wow. to have this surgery because my dad had just loved people so well. And I remember just being so in awe, like this man, what a privilege to be his daughter. You know? <laughs> um, it was such a privilege. And, and then, I, you know, and then the shame story kept going because then I felt like I was just wasting this legacy because I stayed in my bed. I ended up getting another surgery. I was pursued by doctors because they get off on being the only one. And I ended up choosing Mayo. And you know, what was really tough is everyone had a different idea what to do because no one had oh, done it before. Wow. So I was like barely in survival mode and had to make this life or death choice. You know, it was terrifying. It was terrible, terrifying, awful in all the ways. And at the time, I felt very abandoned by God. Sure. I yeah. felt, I remember thinking, y'all say like God is good. Like, how is this good? The best man I've ever known, like has just died. Um, you know, I just had a lot of stories and I, my very limited idea and view at the time of God was very black and white. And I just, I felt very, um, forgotten. Yeah. And I, it felt mean. I remember being like, this is just mean. It felt cruel. Um, and I have so many different opinions about all that now and perspective is the greatest gift ever. But at the time, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Um, I felt yeah, dismissed. And, and I remember saying out loud, like, my daddy would never treat me this way. Um, it was just a tough time. And I ended up, you know, I got the surgery. I'll spare you all the details, but they ended up, they were like, we hope it'll help with your pain. But if we don't do this, you'll be, you know, for life. So they removed the wire that was in my brain, kept the stuff that was in my spinal cord because it was too dangerous to remove it. Took one from my other hip, shaved the bottom of my head again, and then they refused it with titanium screws wires break um and wow. I left the hospital after about a month with another neck brace with like a neck that's like more like a freaking toaster oven than a spinal cord and holding the wire in my hand that they pulled out of my brainstem walking um in pain I didn't even know was possible I would have told you I lived at a 10 before that surgery and then I was like just kidding it can be way worse and I had no idea it was wow. it was rough it was awful I wanted my dad you know, so scary, so hard, but I was so grateful to be walking, like so grateful to be walking, but I ended up getting like a ton of nerve damage. And so my right side just felt like it was on fire all the time, like complete on fire. And so I walked straight back to my bed. Then I was on even more drugs. I was on the highest level of fentanyl patch, which they give dying cancer patients. I was on morphine, hydrocodone, Ambien, Lunesta, Cymbalta. I mean like Ziploc baggie of drugs. Um, and I think I felt even more hopeless because I think so often we put our hope in these things outside of us to make us better and okay. And when that failed and failed, that didn't happen. I was like, it felt so much more depressing. So I was like, this is the rest of my life. Like I'm going to hurt sure. like this mm. forever. And this is no life. And I wanted to die. Like it felt so miserable and my marriage, um, ultimately ended up coming to an end. I had a complete nervous breakdown, which now I love to call my breakthrough. But <laughs> at the time, it was a fucking disaster. Like, I stopped sleeping. I couldn't function. I had to move home. My husband was on tour and just done at that point. And I couldn't function. And it was the shame 
was on a level that I can't describe to you. And I just kept thinking like, which is just a story and not true, but like how disappointed my dad would be in me. I I, like want to just wrap that girl up so tight and love on her. But I believed that, you know, and well, you were, we were taught a God that saw us that way. Yeah. So it's yeah. like all like you had the the best dad to show you a father's true love, and then you had this warped yeah. view of God that ended up they flipped on each other. It yeah. sounds like it just yeah. There's so many just stories, so many limiting stories, and the drugs. I mean, you you don't think like a rational human when you're dependent on that level of narcotics. Like yeah. you're a shell, right? And my family stepped in and. Um, were helping me in whatever ways they knew how and supporting me and they were gonna send me away to get help and that triggered my sweet little brain because I cared so much about what people thought of me that literally the next day I started weaning myself off of the the narcotics because I was like nope (laughs) not sending me away and thank god it was the best decision I've ever made I had to relearn how to live I had you know 8 a.m. I'd like make a list get out of bed, not allowed to get out of bed or get back in this bed until it's dark outside. And I'd scratch it out. Like, 8.05, make the bed. 8.10, brush your teeth. It was like literal, like a robot going through motions because I felt dead and numb inside. And then what was so beautiful, though, is like a few weeks in, I don't know, you can call it God, my higher self, my angels, my guides, my dad, who knows, but something bigger than me told me to make a list of things that I love to do before pain. And so I wrote this list. Mm. I've always loved a list. I wrote <laughs> this list. I love a list. Oh too. my God. I will write nap just so I can <laughs> scratch her out. Um, so productive. Um, I wrote down, I was like, Ruthie, you love flowers. You love sunsets. Um, you love dancing. You love people and I was like no I don't (laughs) yes you do you love these things like Ruthie before pain loved these things and I hadn't done anything that I thought would cause my pain to be worse so I did nothing because everything felt like it made my pain worse so I literally did nothing and I was like my brother literally sat down with me he's like you can lay in your bed and hurt all the time or you can get up and like be with people and try to love people and serve and do you know and hurt and her and yeah we're, we're, those are your two options and I was like wow. <laughs> okay you know and so I started making myself do one of the things on that list each day like added that to my list of things and it's so sweet like I think so often we think you know once I feel better then I'll do these things and I'm so guilty of that and yeah it was kind of like no I have to do these things and trust that the emotions will eventually come so I'd like sit outside and like watch the sunset and just pray for it to like be beautiful and to blow me away. And I'd speak about the things I saw and I'd feel nothing. And then I'd go and I'd pick flowers and smell them and felt nothing. And I'd go and literally sit with people. Like I had a friend whose husband was dying of colon cancer. And I would go sit and be with her and I wouldn't feel anything. And a few weeks in, all of a sudden, like emotions, like as I was numbing, like the numbing was kind of coming away because... Also, when we numb hard, painful things, we also numb all the good, beautiful things. Yeah. So I wasn't able to feel good and beautiful things because I was numbing all the hard and pain with all these drugs. And, and so all of a sudden, as I was letting myself feel all that, getting off these narcotics, 
the joy started coming mm. and the feelings and like I hadn't even noticed my nieces and nephews like they were they were mostly born while I was in my bed and all of a sudden I'm seeing these miracles like these magical miracles that I had not seen I hadn't seen them and they are like the loves of my life like I can't even tell you how fucking obsessed I am with these <laughs> children and all of a sudden I'm seeing them and in awe I was in awe it was like and I would sit and watch a sunset which I hadn't watched a sunset in seven years while I'd been in my bed and all of a sudden it felt like this miracle you know and so that became my new kind of drug of like looking for beauty and people and places and things and experiences and like talking about it mm. you know and my marriage ended and that was so painful um so painful and I was like if I get back in that bed I will not get out and I had learned these new tools thankfully I had just finished weaning myself off of all the narcotics wow. so I, my brain was there mm-hmm. there was some clarity even though there was such fear such anxiety such sadness just sad mourning yeah. you know but I had these new tools and so I was lucky to be in Nashville and I had this community that believed in me and told me I was creative and good at design work which I like had only done my homes you know I knew very little um, but they believed in me and I didn't have the luxury of fear of being like, I can't work because my body can't handle it or I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I didn't have any money. Like, none. Yeah. You know, and there's something really beautiful about not having the luxury of fear. Like I was forced and I'm like, I honor my ex-husband. Like he, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if he hadn't left. And that was a really hard choice. And you know, we had been so separated for so long, like emotionally, and didn't know how to handle it. And I wasn't strong enough to have made that choice. Um, and that had been so painful and so hard. And he had stood by me for a really long time. Um, so I really, I just want to say that. Um, but I started Instagram, I started posting, like my new drug became like, speak about beauty, all the beautiful things, create beauty you know, setting tables that were beautiful, hosting dinners, and then I would have to crash so hard because my sweet little body was just, but mm. I wasn't talking about, talking about those things. I was only posting the beautiful things. Yeah. And I started having people that didn't know me following along, and then all of a sudden, I started getting those messages of like, oh, you have this dream life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, F my life. I am just, what a disservice. That I am offering right oh, now. Well, don't go into more shame. Well, no, <laughs> that was the, like the time. I'm yeah, not yeah, right yeah. Now, but I just—it was a sobering moment, more than like shame moment. But I'm like, mm. I'm not being, I'm not honoring this journey when I don't, because I would think about myself when I lived in my bed, looking at Facebook and social media and feeling depressed because right. I like, I wish I was out playing with my children and not laying in bed hurting all the time, you know? I've realized what people put on their Instagram is like, not aspirational as, as though it's not authentic. Cause even the craziest things you could see might be authentic, but it's also like what people like really hope to achieve. Like if I'm like desperately trying to get through a book, yeah. I would like in the past take a picture of the book and be like, here I am reading it just to feel like I had some sort of like accountability <laughs> yeah. or something. So I can see why you really leaned into the beauty because it yeah. served as your own little vision board of like totally. how you actually wanted to 100%. feel. 100%. Yes. And it was this earnest. It came from a really earnest yeah. 
but then it's true like when it's in reverse and you're projecting this image that some people I think are projecting an image because they really are not that person that they're showing you but then other people like I said I think are actually doing something pure but then when it hits the audience each of us as an individual has to receive the photo like with a grain of salt and not everybody you don't even have the time to think that deeply on it well, and I wasn't giving, like, context for my joy either. Sure, yeah. So I ended up writing it all out, all the details, nitty-gritty, hard, painful details. And I remember thinking, like, oh, wow, um, this is going to, like, scare people away, you know, when I hit publish because those stories, those limiting stories. And, of course, it does the just exact opposite, and people are so longing to not feel alone and for connection yeah. and authenticity and it did, of course, like people came out of the woodworks with their stories and feeling, uh, that's why Me Too is so powerful, right? And I definitely jumped into, okay, this is why I'm here. I want this pain to be purposeful. I want to help as many people as possible. I want to do as many things as I can bring hope and that this is not the end. And that was so earnest too, but I still skipped healing myself. <laughs> yeah. And so I went about that and it was, you know, my pain continued to get worse and it was so hard and I just believed that it would for the rest of my life and I have to do as much as I can now because who knows, maybe I'll be in a wheelchair at some point. And I said no to writing the book for years because I was like, I thought it would kill me to go in and relive all these traumas super deeply, you know. Um, and I finally say, said yes because the way the universe literally handed it to me in the craziest way ever. And... I sold the book with the title being Salvage, Building a Beautiful Life with Broken Parts. Because I thought I was broken. I was calling myself trash. (laughs) What in the world? Bless my sweet angel heart. Oh my gosh. Actual trash. I believed that. And that Mm. was the book deal I sold. And writing this book was the hardest, most painful thing. Because you literally have to go in so deep. And it like took me on a journey of so much pain and unearthing so much pain, some stuff that I didn't even know, that it doesn't leave your body until you process it though. And I would have never probably gone in that deep. And it was the hardest, most important work I've ever done so mm-hmm. far because it all ended up being these invitations to come home to myself and to heal. Um, I thought if I got quiet and came home to myself, it would kill me because the pain was so big. And it, um, it does the exact opposite. And being able, learning these tools of how to release trauma. Um, because literally, oh, this is one of my favorite things ever. Our brains are so magical. <laughs> oh, this is literally my favorite thing. Okay, so this is our brain. This is our spinal cord. This is like our reptile brain. The oldest. So when I was on life support, they're keeping your reptile brain alive. That's why I should not be here. I had a wire in my reptile brain. Mm. Then the next oldest part is our limbic brain. And the only question our limbic brain is asking is, am I safe? It's the emotional brain. Wow, okay. Am I alive? Am I safe? Then this is the prefrontal cortex, which allows you to like think about thinking. And this actually doesn't fully come online until we're 25. Whoa. So like babies having babies, like you can't really process, (laughs) you know? And when we're triggered, when something like, So let's say you're triggered by a trauma that happened when you were 15 years old. You're because the limbic brain doesn't know time. So that's why traumatized people, they feel like it's happening right now. Wow. And when you're triggered, the 
complete uh, prefrontal cortex goes offline, it could take 20 minutes for you to be able to rationally be like, I'm safe, I'm okay. Wow. So that's scary, sure. But here's where it's so hopeful. Because our beautiful little limbic brains are so wise and don't know time, we can go back in today and heal things as though they are right now. So this is going to sound so woo-woo and so crazy, but you can go back in and create a beautiful childhood. (laughs) And your brain doesn't know the difference. And it's real. This sounds woo-woo, but it's actually science. This is science. You can like... There's a book called The Body Keeps the Score that blew my mind on a level that's so incredible. And they talk about all this. And there's a doctor named Dr. Peter Levine that talks about all of this that you can learn. And like we can go in and heal these traumas. So the more work that I've been doing to go back in and process these traumas, my pain is releasing. So this retraining of the limbic isn't about lying to yourself. No, it's about going in and you have to like it's hard and it takes time to build up trust with it there's so many different methods of ways that you can literally create new neural pathways from trauma to health and there are doctors that you can sit with there's therapists you can sit with there are things that you can do at home like I was taught by this woman named Nicole Sachs who taught me this therapy called journal speak and this is free you can go, and that was one of the most healing things I've ever done. You literally journal. It's hard to describe, but I'm telling you, you can watch a 10-minute YouTube, and you can start doing this today, and it has, like, brought more pain relief for me of anything I've ever done, ever. And it's, like, going back into these traumas and letting your body process it, because especially those of us who grew up in the church or grew up in the South, you know, you're told to, like, be smile, be mm-hmm. pretty. You're not allowed to show rage. That's not sweet. Not allowed to show anger, bitterness, any of those things, but your body holds on to it. When you swallow those feelings, those emotions that you're not allowed to feel, your body holds them. The body keeps the score, and it doesn't go away until you process it. And because you can process it as though it's happening right now, you can release it. It's the most, I mean, listen, my neck looks more like a freaking skyscraper. (laughs) toaster oven (laughs) then a spinal cord and if I can heal (laughs) this is for everyone like and I think the most loving thing on planet earth that we can do you know I jumped to try and help others but I hadn't healed myself and that actually isn't loving because we're trying to fix them to fill a void in ourselves and then they don't learn how to heal themselves so the most loving it is not selfish the most loving thing we can do is come home to ourselves and heal our beautiful bodies our beautiful souls our beautiful emotions that we're so deserving of and then we come into the world as full cups and we get to be a mirror of that healing that is for everyone because this isn't mine this isn't just yours this is for everyone and the more of this work we do the more we remember what's so inherently right and good about us, how deserving we are. It's not about what's wrong with you. It's about what's so right with you. Oh my gosh, (laughs) so right. And that's the unlearning, right? That's the remembering. Yeah. And it's, we're so deserving of it. I know. I'm really vetoing all of those worship songs right now. (laughs) 
I'm gonna start some hashtags or something. Just, you can just change words. Yeah. You know, because that's I am whole... not a wretched sinner. <laughs> like I went home. I mean, that's also part of Richard Rohr talks about order, disorder, reorder. Like to feel safe, we grow up in these ordered things where it's very black and white. And then a lot of times you're like, that doesn't work. So we move to disorder where it's just like chaos. Okay, being in your 20s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a lot of people don't leave that. And we have free will. So you, it's your choice, right? Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing in reorder is where you can look back into all of those stages. But they were all important because you can't skip a stage. You can't start in Nashville and just jump to L.A. You have to fly there. Like these these are very important pieces and you have to go through all of them to become enlightened and awaken and to like come actually really home to yourself and the more you do that work the less bitterness and anger like Richard Rohr I love he's like you have to be angry to be brave enough to leave a a season like you have Mm. to be I had to be really angry and bitter to feel okay about leaving my order and then disorder no longer served me anymore because it was still us against them. Like those idiots that are still caught up in the order and think that everything is black and white. You know, and it's still us, me, them. There's no we in that. And then reorder, you remember the collective that we're all connected yeah. and all deserving. One of my favorite quotes that I learned at this emotional wellness place is when our responses to things are hysterical, like really big, they're always historical. It's always like you're scratching the scab off a wound that has never properly healed. And those opportunities are things that are actually just trying to call us home. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And it's like that, you're triggered. Your nervous system is triggered. And right now, in a time like this, so most people are super triggered. So there's ways that you can come back home and like ground yourself. I think everything you're saying about the journey from order to disorder to reorder, that's what you said, um, is really crucial because a lot of us have been taught that we're inherently sinful. And I, for one, felt like having an adventure in life or doing anything exploratory and that doesn't mean hedonistic they're not synonymous like just exploratory just like stepping out from under the steeple and being like hey you know that um it's dangerous that it's going to lead you astray that your heart's going to deceive you into doing terrible things they're gonna you know be promiscuous and crazy whatever your fear has like infused inside of you the narrative the story that you've told yourself of if I live my life to the fullest if I allow myself to listen to this prompt from God that says even though I'm a woman and I'm supposed to be meek and quiet that actually is calling me to do this magnificent TED talk on this you know whatever is coming to you it's just like I think that so many of us in the Christian church have been programmed to believe that there's a danger to that pursuit. But I love what you're saying about the disorder portion because it really does, like, it's proven in my life that without those moments of disorder and chaos and craziness and me doing the wrong thing, me being a sinner, quote-unquote, we're actually like so essential to becoming who I am today and having such self-loathing and hatred for the girl that fell in love with an abuser not having compassion towards her is a part of that narrative of like 
the world is scary. See, this is what you get. I was a sinner. I shouldn't have been out there doing that anyway. Exactly. So like just acknowledging that God doesn't have us on this planet to walk in a perfect straight line to the finish line. Like the point of life as far as I'm concerned, as far as I read and glean in the Bible from other people's experiences, is that life is for the living. Yeah. And what's so interesting even about the Bible, original sin is never written in the Bible. No, it's Those not. Those words, it talks about original goodness. <laughs> wow. It is good. It is good. It is good. We are so good. And I think remembering that, and rem- the more we do that, the more that we remember, the more we actually are able to, with so much love and grace, give that to everyone around. Because it's truly for everyone. I mean, it goes back to Genesis. God made this. He said it's good. God exactly. made that. He said it's good. God made human beings, and he said it's good. It is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, again, I think so often church and culture and family and and all the things tell us stories and those voices those limiting voices live here and those are often the ones that like we get confused and think it's us telling us all these horrible horrible things but the more we do this really wholehearted work and we get grounded and we come back to ourselves we remember we're able to combat those things with truth and now like do I still have limiting stories 100% we're human we're on this it's not linear. We're on this journey the whole time we're in earth school. Like that's just. Oh, I'm just... sorry. I'm perfect. <laughs> like, Hello. I actually figured Mail. it out. So catch up. <laughs> okay, I'm not there yet. Um, but you know what I mean. I think also the quicker I realize I'm able to come back to the truth. And now, like I would have laughed at myself and wanted to like probably punt her to the moon. The things that I do now for self care, like. I say mantras to myself and I say I am statements that are so loving and so gentle and so kind that I, me and everyone else is so deserving of. But I do those things because our bodies hear us, our minds hear us. And if we're always like, I, I did this, um, meditation not too long ago and I had this like really beautiful, I just ended up journaling a ton over my body and thinking about like if I saw my body as my partner, like my lover partner, and how would I talk to her? How would I want to talk to my lover? How would I feed my lover? I would want to listen, 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 listen. You know, like what words would I say? And if I had been ignoring this partner for so long, of course it would take time and practice for them to trust us to be able to like hear again because right now we're so disassociated that we're like well I can't hear anything what do you mean I love that you're saying that because I actually talked to Dr. Tina Sellers she wrote a a great book about sexuality in the conservative church I have an interview with her coming out soon Um, but she was talking about seeing God as your lover and seeing yourself through the lens of how a lover would look at you and I love that because God as a father can be very complicated for arguably everyone. Like the way you had conflated and then spun around God's character and your dad's character. Like dads are confusing figures. Whereas a lover, like if you didn't have a great dad, it's hard to imagine a great dad. You're like, I guess a great dad is X, Y, and Z. But if you imagine a lover, even if you've never had the privilege of having a wonderful one, you can imagine what it would be. And it is... 
much closer to the way, to me, God describes his love for us in the Bible, the way Jesus moved through the world and like showed that to other people, the way we are supposed to move through the world towards other people. The last thing we do is give grace and love to ourselves. Yes. And then the very, very yeah. last thing is giving that grace and love to our physical form. Yes. And the ironic thing is, it's like God made us and said we were good in totality. He didn't say what's inside of you is good and that exterior is garbage which is what I've been taught which is all these worship songs I've been singing for so long the flesh is sinful above all things yeah deny it deny it deny it and yeah you know I started one time I was looking at myself in the mirror and I wish you could have seen the scowl and I was just picking myself apart and criticizing everything and I just all I mean that had been going on most of my life I think a lot of us yeah you know and all of a sudden I was like what if I looked at myself the way a lover would look at me? Mm. And I just started bawling, crying. Like, it was the sweetest, and I just softened my eyes. Or how I look at anyone, like, that I care about. Yeah. And I, like, softened my face. Even someone you don't even like that much. Yeah. You wouldn't be that cruel. (laughs) I would never. Yeah. And it was just, and all of a sudden, like, I just started speaking really loving things. Like, I thought my body was broken. I thought my body hated me. So I hated, I used to say it, now I'll call her her, but hated it in return. And now I'm like, this incredible vessel that has been holding me and loving me and just literally calling me back home to myself, I'm in awe of you. Thank you. Like, I literally love just like rubbing my body and my arms. I'm like, thank you, hands. Like, thank you, thighs, that I was so, like, thank you, cellulite, you know, like, thank you, breasts, thank you, and just going through my whole body, because our bodies hear us, and the more that we practice that, even, trust me when I say I did not believe it at first, this is like, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like, going through the motions, and trust, you have to go through the motions before the emotions come. Oh, I did want to say something about that, actually. I have an admission to make, um, which is that when I started God is Gray, I wasn't as kind as I was showing myself to be. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like a fake because I knew that it was about putting my best foot forward. And just the only way it manifested, like the, the videos are authentic. I always really felt very compassionate and gray towards whoever I was responding to. Those were real. But in the comment section, when I'd get someone, you know, calling me a whore and saying I'm going to hell or something, my very immediate true reaction was to just like curse them out and like go after them. And God really kept me in check the whole time and kept being like, no, you're going to love them you're gonna see it from their angle and I would have to sit in it for a while and see it from their angle force myself to write this thing that's kind and then send it but fast forward two years and I genuinely have become that person and I do genuinely feel that way and I have so much more compassion for people that have different points of view and it was a really beautiful moment to realize fake it till you make it it's not being disobedient to God that you can't get it right away. These things take practice. Yes, Compassion takes practice. takes practice. Yeah. So fake it till you make it. Yes. If you're doing something really good and positive, yes. just do it until yes. 
your body catches up that's until right. your heart catches that's up, right. whatever. That's, oh my God, that's so real. So to wrap up this conversation, I think it'd be wonderful since you have so much expertise and you've been through so much in your body. How can we all return to ourselves and make yeah. the most of this two-week quarantine? Yeah. I would first um, want to just honor whatever it is you're going through because that's real your pain is real. I mean, the one thing I know that I know that I know, and I feel like this about most of life, is that pain is universal. And your pain is real, and your pain is valid. And I'm so sorry for whatever it is that you're dealing with right now. Um, life is really hard and really beautiful, but <laughs> really fucking hard. <laughs> I try to live as just a student forever. I feel like an expertise of nothing. <laughs> but here are the things that I've been practicing and things that I learned that have served my heart and my soul and my body well. Like this morning, I woke up and I felt anxious and sad. And I first started by um, counting my breaths. That's like grounding techniques. There's so many different ones, but getting in our body, because again, trauma, we disassociate. And then we can future trip, or we can shame spiral about past things of how we've handled. And the most loving thing that we can do is come back to right now, the present moment. Um, and that's what we have control over. We have control over nothing else, but how we respond in this present yeah moment c.s lewis says that god only resides in the present because the past and the future are both essentially figments of our imagination right. or the way we process them or our fears and yes. whatever yes. so this moment is all we have this is it mm -hmm. this is it and you are meant to be exactly where you are right now um and kind of you know it's helpful to have like perspective at some point as these like invitations like right now this is out of our control we have right now to be in our homes let's take advantage of that time and do really loving work on ourselves for ourselves that we're so deserving of and that could be you know grounding techniques like if you have a yard get barefoot go and feel your your feet on the ground if you don't have that do it in your home and just catch yourself like what do i feel um Liz Gilbert talked about this today, and it's one of my favorite techniques is the five, four, three, two, one. Like go through the room around you. What are five things that you see? What are four things that like, it, it, just go through the senses, smell, hear, taste, all of the things, just anything that brings you into the present moment. Um, again, right now it's a weird time. We, we're not supposed to touch. But I know when I'm traumatized, I want to be held. So like Dr. Hillary McBride said, our bodies don't know the difference in our hands and someone else's. So this morning, as I felt very triggered, I literally held myself and spoke so lovingly, like, sweet girl, you're, you're safe. You are held. You are loved. You're so loved. You're so worthy. You know, and I went through my body and I held her. Um, and it was so comforting and it shifted. I'm telling you, like, this isn't going to heal your whole life in two seconds, but it shifted. Those two degree shifts, that makes a massive, massive, massive impact for the whole day and how I interacted with the other people. You know, it's like, how am I going to go do podcasts? I feel so ungrounded. This is a great, you know, and, and then I was, I was fine. Yeah. You know, it brought me back to this moment. And I think to dance. 
is so... That's so big for me. So big for me. I mean, you touched on this a lot, but I think catharsis is so important. And I'm so honored by this channel and all of your letters and everything because... And I, I can't respond to all the DMs and all the emails, but I have this auto response in my email that I mean very genuinely, which is like, I'm so sorry if I can't respond to this, but I, I pray and hope that the catharsis of just yes. writing your story and like getting it out potentially for the first time will provide some healing and yes. solace and freedom. Yes. And I have always used writing. I've always said it's my catharsis. I would feel everything in my body and I used to instinctually know to release it and that's all become like source material for what I'm writing right now and that feels beautiful I have this beautiful account of my life I have so much perspective on it now and then catharsis too I was unknowingly completely like derobing living by myself if my heart was broken and just danced around my whole apartment Mm -hmm. and I didn't think about the body and disassociation or association but now looking back I'm like oh that was me just very intuitively knowing I needed to move my body and get that pain out that's right oh it's so beautiful and so loving and because this is such a weird time you know thinking through like when trauma happens you get to see people come together in such a magical way yeah and right now we, we we're not meant to actually come together so there are ways that like there are people that are doing online dance things at a certain time of the day. Like, just sign up for that. There Cute. are people doing, you know, yeah. um, meditations together online. There are people that are doing um, virtual uh, five o'clock drink time, you know, and they're, they're getting on hangouts and like having a drink and talk, processing their feelings because we heal in community. And so let's be intentional to not just isolate, check out, and numb out. Is it so important to like watch funny things and giggle and laugh? Oh my God. I wish you could have seen my friend Jen and I <laughs> the other night learning TikTok dances. We we're old <laughs> as spook and we were just memorizing and laughing. That That's medicine. Like you, it's the most beautiful medicine. Um, that's so, 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 so huge mm-hmm. um, and so medicinal. I'm sort of just thinking of, like, what would a child do? A child would see this as an opportunity, like, for pleasure and excitement yeah, and newness. Art. Yeah, Your kids have Play-Doh. Create. Use, use your hands. Um, if you've been, like, putting off spring cleaning, organize your space. Like, our space, it really has such an energetic um, effect on us. Mm-hmm. And if it feels chaotic... That affects our brains. It that's science. Yeah. So this could be the perfect time to like Marie Kondo the fuck out of your place. <laughs> you know, you have the time. But then also rethinking. I feel like this is going to be a time for us to have to be really. I I'm feeling this this of being really inventive. Like okay, my book tour is being canceled. I can't do a lot of these in person things. So what is this going to look like? How can I be intentional and inventive? That's something that is of service. If I can't come be in front of you, what can I do? And there are so many things like a virtual book tour, a like creating content for, you know, book clubs and things like that, that I wasn't, that wasn't on the forefront of my mind. Yeah. I love that ingenuity, that opportunity. And then for people that are just in their grind jobs that you are going to be losing money, like for me and my partner, he works in the restaurant industry. So like, we're actually just going to be out 
half of our income and I actually don't know how that pans out or how it looks and I'm not a prosperity gospel chick but I do believe that leaving yourself open to it and not residing in stress and shame and guilt and like terror about the future because I could fall into terror and I was having a really hard time sleeping the other night because I was just tossing and turning like rent okay rent 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 and um and it's like you can stay there it's kind of like what your brother said to you about being in pain it's like okay you can lay in bed and be in that pain and be in that stress or you can get out of bed and be like yeah. You know, so what would we do? Uh, so-and-so has a spare room. I guess we'd crash in. Just, like, yeah. go to the, the worst-case scenario and figure out why some of these things are triggering for you. For me, it's helped me realize that I am so tired and broke down of living month to month and only having enough each month. And I know a lot of people out there have the same yes. thing. And it's just like... That's so stressful. Okay, so how do I make sure that the next time something like this happens, I'm not worried about the next month because right. I got it under control? 100%. And I I think, too, like you said, like that perspective shift. It's not this Pollyanna-ish, everything's perfect because this is just a stressful, hard yeah. time. We need to process that. It's freaking hard. But also, what does it look like? I, I catch myself a lot when things have been really hard. I just keep saying to myself, like, this is happening for me, not to me. Yes. This is happening for me. And if I live in that perspective, sh- that's a shift. Because often I can so easily fall into victim mode, woe is me. And even, like, yes, you have to take care of yourself first, but, like, a thing that takes, jumps me out of my own stuff, and see how the universe, God, Mrs. God, whatever you want to call it, Santa, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, that higher power, to see how she, he, whatever shows up when I am, like, I'm so stressed about money, and I do something, like, I'm going to pay someone's dinner I'm going to just pay randomly, like send a Venmo for them to order dinner. Or, you know, there's people that are in worse cases than me right now that like don't know how they're going to feed their freaking children. And it, mm. and so something that's, it, it's, I don't know what it is about the human condition, but when we step out of ourselves and realize the greater need, not just missing our own, that is not what I'm saying at all. I hope you've gathered that from this conversation, but that is also something that has helped ground me. And like, okay, I know that this person is in a way harder position than I am. And then to see how the universe shows up because of the law of attraction, like it's just real when we're not living out of that scarcity mentality. And I live more like this. Like I literally, you can't see it. I have my open palms tattooed, my palms on my hand for that whole, that there's always enough. Like there's always more. And the universe is just wants to bless you yeah you know and it's all energy money is just energy and it does feel very woo woo like these are things that stated out loud as a philly girl i would have had so much cynicism about same but i'm at a point in my life where i'm just like i'm gonna mess with this stuff because the story i've been telling myself the way i've been handling money the way i've been handling trauma is really not doing me any favors so let's just see what exactly. happens if I try something different? 100%. And like nothing changes if nothing changes. So if something has just like been a huge burden and a fearful, horrible thing, which was for me, this is the first thing that helped shift that for me. And that everything that I do is not going to fit. Like we're none of us are these boxes. You know, these are just 
tools. And if something feels good for you, try it on. And if it doesn't fit, throw that shit away. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like I don't feel tied to any of this. It's just like, it's all, you know, yeah, what I love works that. for you. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I hope you all enjoyed this conversation and that gave you a lot of tools. I've learned so much about body and being in our body, being in our homes from someone that did it. I don't want to say the wrong way, but did it in a way that was really hurtful to you in the past. And now you as this like brand new thriving person are in a somewhat similar situation, but handling it beautifully with this whole huge toolbox of things that you've acquired, learning about your body and your Mm -hmm. spirit, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, such a delight to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative. I'm really honored by this because I, you've talked about a lot of things that I would really, really fear. Mm -hmm. Having my life put on some sort of pause in my mind by my own physicality, I can't even imagine how frustrating Mm -hmm. that would be. I was pregnant for nine months and I hated it the whole time because I just had little things that I enjoyed that I couldn't do. So I really, I can't imagine that I would handle it with any more grace than you did. And I'm so thankful you've not only forgiven yourself, but like honored the yeah. woman that went through that. Yeah. And you're the same person that's come out on the other side of it so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And it's all and catharsis in your writing. Yeah. So how can everybody get your book and everything? Please yeah. let everybody know. Yeah. Um, so right now the book is only on pre-order, but if you pre-order it, you can also get this really beautiful, if you know Morgan Harper Nichols, she's, um, a dear friend and she read my book and made this beautiful print, um, quote from just kind of what she gathered from the book. So anyone that pre-orders it will get this print. Um, and the book will come out April 21st and it's sold everywhere Mm -hmm. and you know, I, I don't know, I'm, it's very likely that the book tour will be canceled, but if you go to my website, which is www.ruthielindsay.com, um, I'm going to be creating a lot of online content, and again, like we were saying earlier, like kind of rethinking this whole thing and doing like virtual tour and doing, um, creating um, a lot of content for like book clubs, and I'm also just now starting an email list, which I would be so honored to have you all be a part of it. I'll be just sharing the things that I'm learning and doing like meditations and embodiment um, movement and meditations and dance and just all kinds of things. Playlists. I love music. I'm obsessed. Um, so I'd love to have you be a part of that. And then my, I use Instagram. I use the <laughs> gram. Um, and my Instagram is just at Ruthie Lindsay. And I'd be so honored to have you be a part of that community also. And yeah, this is um, just really, really special. And it's such a gift to get to share this conversation and this time and yeah. with you and your audience. I feel really grateful. Thank Good. you. Of course. We love you all so much. Please like, subscribe, share with your friends, donate to my Patreon or Venmo if you can. We love you all. God bless.